This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. And I'm Jeff Bailey, owner of Spring Dance Hot Tubs in Philadelphia. Today, we're welcoming Sean Doyle to the podcast. Um, Thank you for joining us today, Sean. Thank you. Pleasure to be invited. You might recognize Sean's name from the last issue of the magazine. He was um, in a feature that we did about marketing and wrote the book Shift. And so I thought his approach was really interesting and wanted to have him on the podcast. Um, Sean has worked in marketing basically his entire career. He started his own business 28 years ago, um, and they have a, a kind of a unique approach to breaking down the, the buy-sell cycle. And so we're excited to have Sean on and to, to dive a little bit more into, into marketing. Welcome, Sean. We're glad to have you join us. Yeah. So, Sean, just kind of give us some of the highlights about just who you are and, and where you're from and kind of how you got into all of this. Oh, well, I would say the, the most important thing is uh, what would matter to your listeners. And that that is simply um, I've really enjoyed working with entrepreneurs, business people. Uh, they're just amazing people. And uh, to have the courage to run a business, to fight the battle every day, to to juggle all the balls from HR to finance to operations, you know, it's it's brilliant. Um, but, but the years that I prepared for today were spent seeing that most business owners, especially small business owners, uh, they're not equipped really to know how to leverage marketing as a serious business tool. So the years uh, leading to today have been really equipping me to help the, the business leader of today understand how to perform better. Uh, and I, you know, Yankee, grew up in Pennsylvania, Colorado, D.C., Virginia, bounced around, uh, ended up coming to college in the South, the, known for higher education, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, then dove right into business with a publishing house, a cable television network, and then 29 years ago, started my own firm. Uh, and uh, we've been everything from a design studio, helping people execute and do the doing of marketing, to what we are today, where we're much more heavily focused uh, on consulting and giving strategic leadership to businesses. And then recently, along with the book Shift, I've launched a business at seanmdoyle.com that has video learning, uh, retreat options, and different ways for people to self-educate, people who get intrigued with, maybe I could do better. What could I learn? So we've, we've launched all that. So it's been a great journey. How did you make the leap from, from working for other people and publishing and TV to starting, to starting your own business? What was that like for you? We do, a lot of, we do a lot of business origin stories on our podcast, so I'm curious what yours looks like. Oh. My guess is it's the same story. I was working for other people and uh, doing the, you know, my first job, dad said I had to stay there one year. (laughs) So I got it out that year and at 366 days handed in my resignation and my boss knew I was going to. It was fine. But I was was great. I, I had the title of duplication coordinator. You can guess what that is, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you were the one to spot duplications. 
<laughs> I was the copy boy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it left from there, and my first serious marketing job was uh, really at the at the at the cable television network, where I got to understand the grassroots of uh, how stuff gets sold. And um, I, I finally, uh, through that period, ended up getting married. And one day, my wife said. You're miserable. Mm-hmm. Quit your job. Go do this thing you want to do. And there we are. Because, you know, don't all of us entrepreneurs somewhere say, I can do this better than those folks. I can do this better. Yeah. Let's go. But what about y'all? I mean, Megan, Jeff, you, you guys have your leaders in business. Yeah. I, I think it was one of those situations where I, I liked what I did. And so when the chance came that my boss said, do you want to stay here and own this or do you want to go find something else? I said, I'll stay where I'm at. (laughs) I like this industry and I like these people and I've got 10 years worth of relationships. I think I'm going to stick it out. That's beautiful. Well, Sean, I, I had bought my business. Um, you know, it was, it was what I knew and, um, is what I really enjoyed and, uh, it was available and I'm not sure, uh, anybody else would hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, I understand you've been able to scale your business and you've got multiple locations. So that takes a lot of of, uh, vim and vigor of uh, expertise to be able to scale in multiple locations. And I think a lot of the listeners today have the same. So that's that's impressive. Thank you very much. Something that I like about the just the tagline of your book, Sean, it's 19 shift, but 19 practical business driven ideas for an executive in charge of marketing but not trained for the task, which I think describes pretty much all small business owners, myself included. It's interesting when I talk to our readers, you know, a lot of them are in the same, are in the same boat. I mean, Jeff, you don't have any formal marketing training, do you? Nope. That's why we hire somebody else to do it. Yeah, exactly. Like you either have to learn how to do it yourself or hire someone who knows how to do it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, one of the things that's crazy is how quickly um, marketing is changing. I mean, Oh, absolutely. In fact, I just had uh, lunch with a, a CMO who I've developed a really great friendship with, and he and I were discussing um, have AdWords just died. And that maybe is a little bit looking down the, the path and the crystal ball of the future, but uh, Google just released that their AdWord revenue is down, and we're seeing the whole pay-to-play model shifting and pivoting. Um, you know, so that's that may be the early news for the day, but uh, but it's changing. Things like that are changing a lot. It's it's incredible. Like the the as just when you think you have something figured out, the rules change, and Facebook says no, we're no longer can do this, and so that doesn't seem to be a really good form of uh, getting a hold of leads. And once you get that corner on that, then somebody else changes uh, yeah. how things are done, and uh, it changes constantly and quickly. It's, you know, and there's a lot of people who talk about content and people finding you. And especially uh, in, in this business, I believe the man's business name is the sales lion. But, you know, I think the story of writing one great article uh, and people flocking to your business is it, it's nice, but it's a little antiquated, in my opinion. Uh, it's that the world is much more sophisticated. And frankly, Google is much more, or other search engines are much more sophisticated. Uh, I do believe that, you know, very, very local SEO work and very, very localized content is critical. Uh, So while we see the efforts being made and to have success in paid media is going to decline, well, just last week, I recommended to one of my clients 
to not hire a high-level marketing person, but hire what I called an educator. Hire someone to just go out and write and talk and speak and make it deep about your, your subject matter. And I think that that is going to be a model that's way more powerful than hiring an art director, for example. I've got, I've got nothing against art directors, by the way. Art directors are brilliant and important. They improve communication. Uh, but I, I would invest in an educator, somebody who's focusing on writing and doing video and public speaking and, I mean, even being on your sales floor, helping people. You know, that's where you learn, right? Talking to your customers, you learn. You know, what are their needs? So I think that's a, those are some of the pivots that are happening. In the book, Shift, uh, Chapter 5, if I remember, is all about personnel. And uh, I do think that once you have a business strategy and know where you're heading, then you can um, hire in a better way. I, I share four questions to ask that will immediately trigger whether the person you're wanting to hire really understands marketing or they say they're marketing. Now, that's a broad, broad statement. So there's, I think there's operational marketers, there's, there's administrative marketers, there's strategic marketers, there's creative marketers. There's, it's just saying marketing is so, it's just a horribly overused word. And in some businesses, marketing means sales. So I, I think you've got to define your business strategy first. Um, but if you're going to hire somebody who's got some strategic umph, then uh, the, the the book shares a few kind of insider questions. You know, you're looking for somebody who thinks strategically, not tactically. And I think that's the most often made mistake is people think tactically only. Got to do this ad. You know? Right. Hey, what, uh, Sean, what would be some tips for retailers? Well, I bet Megan will agree with this. I, th I think the first thing you have to do is uh, shift the point of view from talking about yourself to talking about your your buyers, your prospects. You know, no nobody wants to read about anybody else's story. You know, I, nobody cares about what I do, right? What they care about is is what I do. Can it help them? You know, is the is the advice that's in this book or on my video series? How does it matter to them? It really, I mean, it hurts a little bit, I guess, but they don't care about me and it's okay. You know, so I think you've got to shift the point of view because that's where we all start because we like to be the hero of our own story. Um, and it's, it's when you're marketing, it's really not about your own needs. Uh, and when you're selling, you know, the worst of sales is manipulation. The worst salespeople sell something because they needed the commission or they needed to hit a number. The worst marketers do the same thing. You know, they, they are really selling from a selfish point of view. But wow, if you can shift that thinking to a point of view that speaks to your buyers, and there's three, I'll tell you, there's three things everybody cares about. Uh, everybody has a financial pain, everybody has a strategic pain, and everybody has a personal pain. So if you can change your marketing to shift from talking about what you sell and move it to what your buyers care about. You know, if if you don't if you don't sell um, your stuff, but you sell a place for a relationship to be refostered, or if you don't sell, um, you know, the the discounted price, but you sell the value of the extra money now you have to create an environment. You know, I mean, you you, you shift the gears from talking about yourself to what they care about the buyers man that's that's the that's the simplest thing you can do
shift that point of view. Megan, this is the part where all the narcissists are going to turn off this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Jeff, what what have you seen? You've sold a lot. You've been very successful. Have you experimented with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, We have great success focusing on the customer's needs because that's what it's all about. When a customer comes in, we want to know what the why behind they're looking for a hot tub. Like why, what, why now? Why do you want to do this now? And, um, you know, tell me more about your back problem. How did that happen? You know, we, we, we do, we make it all about them. Um, You know, a long time ago it was said, uh, life is interesting, be interested. And there are some very interesting people out there and some, uh, the more you can get them talking about themselves, I think the more they trust you. Well, and it's Mm. funny that you, it's funny that you say that Sean too, because and thinking about the articles that we write for the magazine, you know, we'll write about new products that companies sell um, or have made. And so, you know, we'll call them up and, you know, we need to get the details from them. But what we ask them is, do you have any retailers we can talk to about this product? Because the last thing that any of our readers want to hear is a company talking about its own product. They want to hear from their peers this is why we like this particular thing. And so it's kind of funny because that's that's kind of our focus too, is we want to be talking to and talking about the people who are actually going to be reading the magazine and trying to bring those products into their store, not the manufacturer. I mean, sure. they should, you know, of course, they're going to tell you all the things that make their products great, but we need to hear from someone who's actually sold it. Well, and there's some <laughs> complexity in what you just said too, that's interesting to me. And that's, there's, you know, there's the manufacturer, there's the seller, then there's probably, would it be typical to have an installer as a third party? And then there's the buyer. I mean, there's, there's lots of different people involved in a, in a buy cycle or, a, or a, a sales chain. And every one of them has a different concern. Kind of going at it, looking at it from a broader point of view, um, what do you see? I and mean, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges as far as um, you know, marketing changing rapidly and trying to keep up with all of that. But what are some of the, in general, what do you think are some of the struggles that small business owners face when it comes to marketing? Um, I think one of the biggest weaknesses that um, when I do an audit of a business is they've spent the wrong amount of money at the wrong place. Most of marketing is built around early stage sales needs, which is typically looks like awareness, right? So most of our industry is designed to create awareness, which is important. I've, I've never been able to do something I wasn't aware of, right? So I'm not knocking awareness, but there's so much that happens once you've created awareness that understanding a little bit later stage what to happen. So once I'm aware of something, for example, can you give me a rational reason to continue the dialogue with your business? Uh, can you give me a rational reason to consider your product or this specific line? Or maybe you're not even selling different lines, but you're selling your service as you install. Can you give me an emotional reason? So rational and emotional reasons uh, are very, very powerful, and they typically need to sit on your website. So if you want to give yourself a quick audit, look at your website. Are you presenting your buyers with rational and emotional reasons to continue the dialogue? Or are you talking about the quality of what you sell? Steve Jobs always said that if they sold Apple laptops based on the best wiring, lightest aluminum, the clearest screens, that they'd go out of business. You know, they sold the why. Like if you want to be cool and creative, then this is the Apple laptop. This is what you want. 
they shifted the conversation, right? Not talking about stuff. So I, I think that's the... I think that's the biggest fight that a, that a typical business owner has. Everybody who walks in the door is probably selling you awareness. So how could you invest some money a little bit later stage, whether it's your website or let's say it's a trade show? Um, how could you invent a trade show design? How could you do advertorial work, um, you know, work with a publisher and create later stage content that gives insight to things that are beyond just more awareness. I think those would be the, the, the quickest place I'd focus. So when you are going into a business and first start evaluating them, I mean, what are kind of the things that you, that you first look at and say, these are going to be issues or these are things you're doing right? Yeah, well, we, we always survey first and just understand everything that's happening. We want to look at it from a financial perspective. You know, what, what are you spending money on? What are you spending time on? Uh, how are you staffed? You know, often if we find somebody who's staffed with their marketing person as, let's say it's an event coordinator type person. Okay, well, we need to evaluate whether that's working, but if that's where the business owner has already invested, it's probably wise not to try to change everything, but to leverage what they naturally wanted to do and then find ways to shift some budget. Again, if it's, for example, if it's events, and I'd shift some budgets back into some later stage sales tools that could be used uh, point of purchase, that could be used uh, inside your store, that could be used in, uh, on, on your website. Um, so most of it is doing a study, a survey of seeing where you're starting. And then I am floored by how many people don't connect their marketing to their business objectives. It's just astonishing. Mm. Do you want to be known as a service provider? Do you want to um, be known as a reseller? Do you want to make money? Is, are chemicals the most important thing you do? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. But if you don't know what your business strategy is and how you define success, then marketing doesn't have a chance. You know, you tell me you need more people on your website. Okay, now I know what to do. Tell me we need to close more people out of every 100 people that walk in the door. We need to improve by 15% the number of deals that we finish, that we complete. Okay, now I know how to help your business. So I think business owners really have to be clear. Marketing isn't this obtuse thing that just happens. It's a business tool. You know, give, so give your marketing people or your agency very specific business objectives. I think that's the critical Critical. A good marketing firm will understand what to do. If you give your marketing firm or your or your team member a business objective, you know we need twenty five percent net new customer growth this year, and we want to improve revenue by fifteen percent of our current customer base. If they look at you with a blank stare, it's time to make some decisions. <laughs> I mean, marketing should be math. Marketing should be business. It's not just art. It's really not. I mean, art is a tool to communicate, critical, but that's not where it starts. It can't. It has to start with a business leader establishing a vision. I feel like in our industry, I mean, and it depends on the market and it depends on the retailer, but I think I see a lot of retailers who only 
will do big marketing pushes around certain events or certain sales. And then and then their marketing will kind of fall off the, for any other time. It's like we focus on these big events. That's where we put most of our marketing dollars, mm. you know, whether we're doing TV or radio or a combination and obviously doing stuff online. And then and that's it. That's kind of their marketing plan for the year is let's promote these these six events we mm. have this year. Is there more they should be doing or focusing on than just promoting certain sales? I mean, I, I guess maybe, it, again, it goes back to what their objectives are. We but. just completed a program for uh, a national association who uh, Amazon has decided to come into that market space. And they hired us to study what's Amazon's playbook? What, what are they going to do? How are they going to impact us? And what is our opportunity as an association, as a group of, of like-minded people selling the same products, what, what do we need to do? And it was a fascinating study. And I guarantee anybody listening today has had some questions about Amazon and how they've impacted their revenues. We've worked with a retailer, a Southeast regional retailer, who's struggling with the same thing. And, and just, well, not only Amazon, but other online offerings. So, Megan, not specifically perhaps to the the situation that you just described, I think the answer is almost always going to be found in positioning. So what do I mean by positioning? You've got to figure out what you're going to be and what your business wants to be. And frankly, is that positioning going to achieve your business objectives? If it's not, then it's not the right positioning. So, for example, this this uh, into this national entity we were working with, what we said is Amazon's always going to beat you in a couple different ways. They're always going to have a better price. They're going to have convenience because not much more convenient than clicking a button on your phone. If you're like me, when it happened across your mind that I needed something, you know, boom, I'm done in ten seconds, fifteen seconds. You know, Absolutely. Oh, so, how are you going to compete with that? You know, what yeah. Amazon's playbook it seems to be is to identify industries that have service components where there's a low customer experience. So net promoter score is something I would tell you to explore as a business and hire have somebody do a net promoter score for you. It's actually very simple. It's even built into many products that do surveys already. But if uh, Amazon's looking for a business that has a low net promoter score, because theirs is very high, so they know they can beat the customer experience of the flesh and blood brick and mortar on Main Street, and they're taking them down left and right. So I think the answer is certainly if you focus on customer experience, certainly if you invest in that, you can beat Amazon. It's an app. You've got human beings. You know, or maybe you don't fight the, you know, when I buy chlorine from my pool, uh, do I want to buy from this online store, that online store, or do I want to get in my car and drive 15, 20 minutes? Maybe you have to give up some portion of your business, but then you double down in some other area where, like, I've got a problem. If you saw the water in my backyard right now, you'd go, dude, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, but I'd pay somebody to help me with that. Am I going to pay a 30% margin for uh, granular chlorine? Uh, maybe not, especially if I have to go drive and pick it up. So I don't, you've just got to figure out what your, your business is going to be great at. You know, one of the things that's so crazy about how we 
the customers have changed over the years. Uh, it's hard hard enough to get them to come back and buy your chemicals, but now they come in and they they ask you questions on pricing, and they they stand there right in front of you on their phone checking their pricing with Amazon pricing, and <laughs> oh, it's actually stunning. I've even had customers that have called other places while they were in our store to get to see if they have better pricing. So, um, yeah. yeah, they're they're tough. It's changed a bit. Well, it's just you're you're almost always going to find in any business there's going to be problems. And when people have problems, when they have pains, whether it's a personal pain, a financial pain, a strategic pain, they're going to pay to have it fixed. I I just recently had some problems with my lower back. I never would have given a neurosurgeon a dollar for a spinal block. I would have paid anything three weeks ago for a spinal block. <laughs> and they work, by the way. They're great. Um, but I, you know, you you find and you can't you don't want to leverage that you don't want to take advantage of people because they're in pain, but you do want to price yourself to serve the pain, right? You're you, if you want to sell chlorine, then you're going to pay a certain price. It's a commodity. If you want to sell an environment where relationships can happen and family can come together or whatever it is you want to sell, I'll pay much more for that than chlorine. You know, it's just a different sale. So those are gutsy, big decisions and so easy to say into a microphone and so hard to do. But I, I just think that that is the evidence all suggests that positioning and expertise is going to trump clicking a button on an app at some point. So we've talked a lot about the business understanding its own objectives, but I guess Jeff brought up a good a good point as well. I mean, how much of it is also understanding your, your customers um, or does that kind of understanding yourself. When, um, Jeff, I'll put you on the spot. Do you have a regular program where you get input from your customers? Um, Yes, we do have a program to get regular input from our customers, for sure. What's that look like? Uh, Well, one of the things we do, and I've shared this on other podcasts, is we have brownies that we uh, send to the customers, and um, just regular brownies, and they, they love them. And we ask for a survey in there and tell them we appreciate them buying from us. And um, it's, it's one of the ways that we can, you know, get them. They feel more obligated to fill out um, to fill out our survey card. And then that great. survey card gets turned into a review online. Yeah, I think those are great techniques. And I would encourage everybody to do that. I love the customer experience design uh, aspect of your brownie idea. And sure. You know, I think, Sean, anybody listening to this podcast, um, your goal needs to be the most reviewed company in your market. That's what puts you out in front of everybody else. And if you focus on that and you understand the importance of these reviews, um, it, it it's just it's amazing how it's changed the way people come in the store now asking for a salesperson because they read about them in a review. And uh, it's really important in your market that you be the leader when it comes to reviews. Go back to the very beginning, digital marketing, you know, reviews, reviews, reviews. I mean, just if it takes brownies to get somebody to go online and do a review, buy them brownies, man. That's go for it. Yep. I, I think the other aspects of customer programs, uh, one is this net promoter score idea. It gives you a really quick snapshot of how people think about you. Uh, and it's very easy to, to execute. Um, and you can look at that. That's a, I think measurement's an important part of marketing. Uh, I would think you could bonus your company if you can move your net promoter score by five points. Give everybody a 
$500. I, I don't know. You figure out your own bonus structure, but um, you know, give find out what your net promoter score is. And if it's a 65, then if they get up to 70, then great. Here's a bonus. If you get up above 70, great. Here's another, you know, I mean, just do those structures. It's it's a very easy program to run. And it's a it's a very simple way to understand how people really feel about you. I think the other thing that I would offer is occasionally it's worth having a third party um, do these do some studies, do some customer studies. Megan, do you like me? I like you just fine, Sean. Well, of course you say that because we're talking right now. So you know when we ask our customers, do you like me? They're almost always going to say nice things. You of ask course. anybody, they're going to say nice things if they're face to face. The beauty of a third party. And it can be like a sociologist from a local college doing a, a study for a grade. I mean, it doesn't have to be some big, expensive program. But if you get the third party to call and simply say, you know, this is Joe Smith and I'm calling on behalf of XYZ company and we've been hired to and then you state the purpose of the call. You can get amazing feedback and it's OK to spiff these people. You can give them a $50 Visa card. I'm amazed what people will do for a $50 Visa card. Um, but, you know, just have a, have a third party call and they'll say things to a third party that they'll never say to you. So I would really, I think that's a brilliant investment. Uh, and I, when we do those studies, I divide them up into three groups. I, div- I think the most important group is your lost customer group. Call the lost customers, the third party, not you. Because they're they're not they're going to lie to you, right? Oh, we didn't we left because uh, we moved out of town. I don't know. They're going to make up something. But call those lost customers. If you can find the root, a pattern from five calls, ten calls to lost customers, wow, what's the value of that to your business? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I had a situation recently with a customer in the store, and um, they wanted a swim spa, and I was convinced they needed just a big hot tub. And so while they kept telling me they wanted a swim spa, um, I kept showing them a hot tub and I wasn't doing a very good job of listening. And, and I was convinced that that's what, this was the hot tub that they needed. And I went out to their house and I met with them and we connected. That was great and didn't hear word one back from them and recently was in the same neighborhood. And sure enough, they have a swim spa in their backyard because that's what they wanted. And you know what? And what shocked me was the guy was our buyer. The guy was a VP with Johnson and Johnson. He's a smart guy. I just wasn't smart enough to hear what he was saying. And, and honestly, I know for a fact they would have been happier in that hot tub. I still believe that. I still believe that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny right now, I'm not, after work, I won't go into a a BMW dealership or a Mercedes Benz dealership or a Ford dealership for that matter, because I'm not looking for a car. But it's funny when the salespeople make excuses and say, um, the guy came in the store today, but he really wasn't interested in a hot tub. And it's like, no, he went out of his way to come into the store he had to have some level of interest. It's it's if if somebody makes the effort to go into the hot tub store, they have some kind of interest. We used to be next to a furniture store that had a thousand ups a day, a thousand ups on Saturday. Th- two or three of them would come in the store, and they they they, they would call the salespeople in the store would call them Mealy's ups. That was Mealy's furniture. So they'd be like, oh, we you know we had two Mealy ups today, and I thought you know it's funny. 
there were 998 people that went in that store that had no interest in the hot tub. And I know that because they didn't come into our store that was right next to there. But the two that looked at furniture who obviously are looking, they have money to spend that came in the store are poo-pooed when they only had the best excuse. And the best excuse was we were in the furniture store. We just thought we would take a look around. So in your mind, you tune them out. In their mind, they're giving strong consideration to it. So, especially something pretty specific like what you're doing, and that's that's a, you know that that took effort. I mean, I had to get in the car, drive, get out of the car. I had to be willing to face somebody who was going to try to sell me something. The you know, customers I, come in now, and they they read a review, and they actually ask for the salesperson by name. It's 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 really awesome, and, and of course, it encourages the salespeople to get reviews which is really important. Jeff, you know what those reviews are doing? It's so great, so simple. They create safety. It's not that they think you're brilliant all of a sudden. You're just creating safety. As humans, we want safety. That's why we're none of us want to talk to salespeople. Salespeople aren't safe, right? They have their own objective. Well, those reviews are saying that your business actually has the customer's objectives in mind and the customer matters. That's why that's so critical. So safety is huge. Oh yeah, no, and that's why you want to lead. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. One time, I uh, I was talking with a customer on the floor, and I implied that I was the service guy. It was interesting how they just all their defenses went down, and they wanted to know what what happens with these spas, what goes wrong with these spas, and um, they felt like they could trust me because I wasn't a salesman. I want to write a book someday that that draws the analogy of of uh, sales to marriage, and you know, with the salesperson that tries to close something when they meet is just like if you on your first date with your spouse tried to tell them everything about you, you'd never have a second date. So you know, our first date we try to be interesting and we try. I was taught to ask a lot of questions and be focused on my date. Well, why does why do we in sales start out by pursuing our own objectives? I don't. It would just a horrible lifetime of sales training. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's that's what you did. You you constantly as a small business are trying to think outside the box and how to drive traffic. It's 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 constant. I was just working on it today. Yeah, I mean, could you know that's where the focus on your business model. I mean, not you know, Jeff, Megan, you'll have to jump in when I say something stupid here, but. Um, could you install a hot tub with a lease to own program? Could you give me a hundred, you know, people are selling mattresses left and right on uh, these hundred day sleep on it and return it if you don't like it. Who, who's going to take the effort to return a mattress after a hundred days? I don't know, you know, you know, or a hot tub. I don't know. Maybe there's different ways to approach the financing or the delivery or the, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is where you get a bunch of people like like y'all into a room and are guided through some strategic planning to think of ways that you have never considered before. And that's that's really the advantage of an outside business advisor too is you know you, you've been taught a framework around your business and uh, some sort of of consultant who's not in your business can force you to see some things in a different way, like a different way to buy things. You know, where as a nation we're all going through a transition of thinking about ownership differently. Um, do we do we need to own cars anymore? Do we need to just uh, use fractional ownership? Do we just Uber, let somebody else own the car? Do we, you know, I mean, I, maybe there's there's a shift in the way the business is done, but it's going to take an outside party 
Uh, and there's there's good outside parties all over the country, whether it's groups like Vistage or individual consultants or, or maybe even some marketing schmuck like me. But they have to understand business. Don't let them talk about art and ads. <laughs> That's such an interesting idea. Um, you know, there's all this talk about the sharing economy right now and what that means. And I read an article a couple of weeks ago about homeless millionaires, people who just have decided is their life that they're not going to own things and they're just going to rent and share and use whatever they can. It's really, it's really fascinating. And of course I read that and didn't think about our, our industry at all, which is, is silly. Of course I should be thinking, how could that maybe look in the, you know, in the hot tub industry? So that's, it's an interesting, I mean, it's just an interesting thing to think about. I don't necessarily want to get into someone else's exactly. hot tub. Exactly. <laughs> that's so funny. That's what I, mean, I was thinking. There's some cleanliness issues there that I maybe wouldn't want to get into, but it's a, but it's something that we should be thinking about. So, Megan, that's funny you'd say that because I, I was thinking the same thing as you were talking. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of, of really intelligent ways to sell things. There's uh, something, a concept uh, in called price anchoring in behavioral economics. And price anchoring simply states that as humans, we, we look for an anchor. And usually the anchor is the high point. So I look for a five, I look at a $5,000 choice, I look at a $3,000 choice, and I look at a $1,000 choice. And as a human, I will almost always buy the middle choice. I rationalize, I don't want the high choice, I'll rationalize the low choice, even if it's a good one. It couldn't be good, right? It's the low choice. So this concept of price modeling and, and price anchoring can be really powerful you know, there's there's some things to think about pricing as you look at your market strategy. Uh, Megan, what I was thinking about when you were talking about the hot tubs was I live in Alabama. Well, we can use a hot tub probably from October. It's still pretty hot in October, probably November to April. But the, you know, the snowbirds need it the other times of the year. Maybe you present these fractional ownership positions where your your business thoroughly cleans them. And then you ship it and you pay X dollars a year to the other location. I don't know, you know, but and then ultimately every customer is going to go, you know what? That sounds cool, but I just want to own it. Let's just install it at my place. So, you know, you could create some programs that you have to authentically want to do, but that really are guiding a buyer to something more specific. Because I do think people will yeah. want to own their own. That may have been a horrible example. I know Jeff's over there going, what is this dude talking about? <laughs> there are some companies out there that started as as hot tub rental companies. You know, they would bring a hot tub over if someone was going to have a big party or something. And what they ended up finding was they would rent the hot tub, but then people would just want to keep it. <laughs> I love it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been tested before. And so, I mean, it's not an, it's not an idea without merit. <laughs> yeah, well, fractional ownership and... Price anchoring. These are just all very contemporary business conversations. And I, you know, I bet, oh, I bet 90% of everybody who owns or works in, in any type of specific business, they rarely get to step outside uh, of it and think about other ideas. In fact, we've just implemented something at my office that we call contribution days. Because, you know, I, Jeff, they don't really need you on the sales floor every day. They need you to step outside of your business one day a month and think and lead and try some new programs. You know, if nothing else, great marketing looks like determining a contribution day and getting off site. Now you have to work. It's not, you know, a day at the at the lake, but I mean, you have to work. You have to think. You have to look at 
how other businesses are doing things. How do other businesses fight Amazon? How do other businesses use fractional ownership? Could we do a rental program? And, you know, gosh, that's a legacy thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not a legacy thing. Maybe it's something that works today. I, so I think contribution days will help a business owner identify some of these ideas. I do agree with what, what you're saying, Sean, about thinking outside the box. I know in our industry, the spa manufacturer that I sell had hired an outside company that did design work six months out of the year out of what they normally do. So normally they were designing cars for BMW. And then um, if you work for that that BMW design group, six months of the year, you spend designing something outside of automobiles. And they were able to harness a lot of that talent to do some redesigns on the uh, refresh the hot tubs. I, really, not a refresh, but a redesign on uh, many models. And it's very creative, uh, very, yeah, very creative. I'd love that. Maybe there's even ways to partner with the other businesses that you typically think about as a competitor. There's a lot of that going on in today's economy. That really, you have to have outside perspective to do that kind of thinking, though. So maybe it takes somebody else to force you to to rethink it. It is amazing. I feel like anytime I do get out of the office, you know, and whether it's going into a retailer, a hot tub or otherwise, or visiting a manufacturer or seeing a factory, it can be almost anything. And it's amazing the ideas that you can get just from taking a minute and looking around and seeing, like you said, what other people are doing and how they're, why they're doing it and why, and how they're successful with it. You get so many ideas and we never give ourselves the time to really do that. We're so stuck in our day to day and trying to deal with whatever's in front of us that we don't take the time to get out and do those things that really give us the ideas that move our businesses forward. When I started doing this, uh, my employees shocked me and uh, I thought they were going to be frustrated and feel like I was being lazy. And they actually were the opposite. They were like, we've been waiting for you to leave, man. Come on, we got this down. You know, they, they want me to be gone to come up with the next idea, to think about the deeper problems. They, they want me doing that, which was a shock to me. Yeah, it just surprised me. And they're just gutsy enough to tell me. <laughs> that actually does bring up something I, I wanted to ask you, Sean. I mean, I know we've talked about work that you do with other with other companies, but can you just say, explain to our listeners who may be interested in um, in your services, what are some of the things that you can do to um, to help them out with their marketing? Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm 54, which makes me a really old guy, right? Don't answer that. Don't no, answer not, that. Not, not, not in this industry, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided to just share what I, what I know. So, uh, you know, the book is part of that. I think the book is a great start and it's on Amazon and, uh, you know, Every, uh, every schmuck who ever wrote a book wants to sell it. But I, I really do think that it's a good book and has, uh, in the back of it, also has a list of free resources that you can find at, at seanmdoyle.com. Uh, there's a video series on seanmdoyle.com and there's free tools you can download. I mean, my vision is to equip business leaders that are either going to lead marketing or do marketing, and I want them to be more effective and more powerful. Um, you know, so those, those are the primary ways that, that I would be able to help uh, a group like yours on the, such a national audience. Uh, another way that's really powerful that, that we've been able to do um, is go to speak with groups of business owners. We've, we've uh, done one-day conferences uh, in, gosh, in Milwaukee, uh, just recently in Knoxville, going out to California in November. Uh, so we, we can, if, if groups of people want to get together and um, coordinate that, then we can, I, I love it if it's non-competitive too. It's much better, actually. 
we can have a great working session. We love to do a half day, then share a meal. And then always what happens is when you sleep that night, you end up with 10 more ideas and 10 more questions. And then we do another half day and, and, and wrap it up. So those are great uh, ways to get insights and, and learning. But that's, you know, look at the videos and, and look at the look at the book. I think that's where I'd start. And then um, someday, uh, you know, maybe maybe escalate from there. But uh, and then beyond that, if you if you don't need help from me, because there's there's more than one way to do everything, and there's a lot of smart people out there. I just would I would just start with the uh, the questions that are in the in the book about how to hire. Um, an employee, I think you could use them with agencies too. You know, the agency that uh, the marketing firm, we actually call ourselves a sales and marketing consultancy and with emphasis on sales. Nobody ever helped me. Nobody ever hired me to do marketing. Everybody hires me to help them improve their sales. Nobody wants marketing, right? Who buys marketing? Uh, so, I, you know, I would use those questions with uh, the agencies and the agency that shows up with uh, ads and portfolios and videos, move past them. They're not strategic. And the agency that comes in with a legal tablet, now I'm really dating myself, uh, but the, the group that comes in and asks questions and their business questions and their strategic questions, that's a person who can help you. Um, you know, and do an engagement. Do a, Suggest to them, uh, if they don't have a, an audit type product, suggest to them to do an audit. You know, what we do with audits is we, we take, we gather your, your finances, everything you've spent on marketing and sales, and then we plot it out by the sales cycle. So we look at what you've spent and what you've done, early stage, middle stage, late stage, and then we share recommendations. We do that remotely, in fact, and give you recommendations of here's what's missing, or here's the gap, or here's the barrier. Uh, in your process. So that's that's something we've done a lot of. Another thing that's really critical, I'm just full of ideas, aren't I? That's good. Is the website. You know, the website for most of businesses becomes this barrier um, because it's often not built correctly. Websites are often built like it's going to create awareness of the business, and that's not its purpose. The, the website's designed, should be designed to create somebody, take somebody who's contemplating and move them into what we would call planning. So, you know, I've heard something. I've heard about you. I've heard about your product. I found your website. Don't start telling me about everything about what I've already know, right? So I found your business. I'm already there. Tell me about why I should continue the conversation. So we do we do website audits. Uh, we use a mixture of artificial intelligence to look at the way it's designed because it gives a third-party quantitative point of view on, on how the website's designed. And we actually have one of the team members who's uh, got, oh, I think about five or six years experience of building e-commerce sites and websites in your space. And um, he would look at the site too and offer recommendations. So we have lots of different ways to help. And there's lots of ways to get help. Just focus on the strategy, focus on the business, and focus on somebody who can break down sales step by step and has a theology of that. That's just critical. Well, I think those are all 
good things for people to think about and and applicable things. I mean, they're things that they can actually do. Yeah. Well, you know, this is everybody who owns a business is probably a smart person and they just lack a framework and they lack tools and maybe need some insights. It's, it's never it's almost never a lack of smart people, you know. Smart people run businesses and lead businesses. So that's that's the good news. Well, thank you Sean so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to get, you know, a perspective from someone who is not in our industry and you know it knows all of the jargon and everything and can look at it kind of from a little bit of a different view. So I really appreciate you bringing that and and talking with us today. Sean, thank you so much today and thank you Megan. Thank you Megan and Jeff, both of you appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to visit and uh, share a few thoughts. podcast is produced by Spa Retailer Magazine. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SpaRetailer.com, and the Spa Retailer app. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think or email us at podcast at SpaRetailer.com. Music